Well, good morning, Riv. How are you guys doing today? Well, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Uh, and also happy Juneteenth to everyone. Uh, hope if anyone had uh, went to the Juneteenth celebration in Rio Town, I hope that was fun uh, this last weekend. Uh, my name is Young, and I am one of the pastors here at Riv. It's still very weird to say that. I became a pastor here a couple months ago. Um, very excited to dig into uh, our fruit of the Spirit today that we'll be addressing, uh, which is this, uh, the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness. And I believe that we land on a fruit of the Spirit that is very timely for our day and age today, especially in the, in the sense of how we are as Christians to live in our society today. Okay? Faithfulness. What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus during our day and age today? I want to kind of do what uh, I think some preachers are taught not to do. And, you know, if you follow the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 9, but wing 8. I challenge sometimes the status quo. So um, that's that coming out. But uh, I'm going to share some thoughts on what, or I want to kind of give the lay of the land of what our time looks like today. So I'm going to share initially at the front end here, what does faithfulness actually mean in the New Testament? And you can even kind of bring it into the Old Testament as well. What does the Apostle Paul, when he uses the word faith or faithfulness in our English transcription, what does that actually mean? And then I want to jump into three specific areas that I believe are pertinent for our day and age with practicing this fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness, particularly in three areas. We're going to go macro and then into a little bit of the micro. So we're going to look at faithfulness in our society and then faithfulness in our churches and then faithfulness in our households. To start our time off, I want to read uh, the passage that we've been in in the book of Galatians. If you want to turn with me to chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, you can open your Bible app on your iPhone, iPad, or your Android device or whatever, or you can follow along on the screens. This is what the Apostle Paul, he pens this part of the letter in the church, uh, to the church in Galatia. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Please pay attention to this part. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Before we jump in here further, would you pray with me and ask, as we ask the Lord for help to understand his word this morning for our lives. So would you pray with me? Father, we um, just look to you, especially on today, Father's Day. Uh, you are, as we know, our Heavenly Father, the one, the, the only perfect Father, Lord, that has ever existed. I pray, Father, that today, 
for all of uh, us in this room or watching online or wherever it may be, uh, all of us who are fathers here or are some sort of paternal figure, father-like figure to someone in this life, uh, I pray that we would look to you, Lord, um, especially when it comes to faithfulness. What does that look like in our lives? Uh, we pray, Father, also for those in this room um, and in our church family uh, who may not have had the best experience with a father-like figure. Uh, we pray, Father, that as we take a look at faithfulness and what you call us to be, and as we look at even your faithfulness on the cross, that it would remind us, Lord, that despite um, malfunctioning and imperfect father-like figures on earth, that we all can turn to you, Lord, for healing, for refuge, for strength as our Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, that as we dive into your text today, may your spirit sharpen our minds to understand your word and open our hearts to receive your word. Um, and may we all uh, have uh, our, our eyes, uh, our gaze set to Christ and all that he has done for us, Lord. So be with us in this way. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. In an article um, titled, um, <laughs> please get the, I didn't write this title, okay? In an article titled, Why the Past 10 Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid, by Jonathan Haidt. He's a social psychologist professor at NYU. He shares his research uh, and conclusions from his data on how we got to where we are at right now in American society uh, and as a country. Specifically, he jumps into a lot of his research into the areas of how social media and politics uh, be became wedded to one another and essentially created a perfect storm of sorts for how our country has, as a whole, became so divided. Perhaps for those who are older in this room, perhaps this is a time in our country's history where you have recognized that our country is perhaps in the most divided state that you can recall in recent memory. In my 30 years of existence on this earth, this is the first time that I've seen our country so divided. And Jonathan Haidt, Professor Haidt's research shows that this perfect marriage between social media and politics led us to where we are today. And I would also add that much of this could apply to not only our country, but how our communities, how our neighborhoods, how our churches even, have become so divided over the last 10 to 12 years. The article is a bit long, but to give you a premise of where he's coming from, Professor Haiti utilizes the story, whether it's accurate or not, but he utilizes the story of the Tower of Babel in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, as a metaphor to explain where we are now as a country. The thesis of his article, in my opinion, was this part of this paragraph that he, wrote, uh, that he writes. He says, The story of Babel is the best metaphor I've found for what happened to America in the 2010s, for the fractured country we now inhabit. Something went terribly wrong, very suddenly. We are, uh, get the, the adjectives that he uses here, we are disoriented, unable to speak the same language or recognize the same truth. We are cut off from one another and from the past. Jonathan Haidt, why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. Professor Haidt's main point here to me at the very least, sounds very similar 
to the Apostle Paul's conclusion, not saying that we carry it with the same weight, but they sound similar. When he says in Galatians 5.23, what we just read, let us not become conceited, provoking ourselves. No, provoking one another and envying one another. A similar thread that I noticed when reading Professor Height's article along with what the Apostle Paul wrote into the church in Galatia, the, the connecting thread to me was that the flesh looks out for the self, right? The flesh looks out to protect the ego, the self, while the Spirit of God looks out for one another. Okay? That's the thread that I see that ties these two. So, but what, what does this have to do with the church? Big C church, what does this have to do with the small C church, our local church, Riverview, and the other churches in the Lansing area? I'm afraid that, the, uh, th- that this is evident all around that most churches in our country have also felt the, the, have felt the deep effects of division in our country. It seeped through the four walls of the church. And here we are in this cultural moment. And I believe, my friends, genuinely, that the remedy to this division, at least among Christ followers, is not just the simple answer of, well, Jesus unites us all, but it is that the fruit of faithfulness that Paul brings up here in verse 22 will be an anchor for us as practicing Christians or people who follow the ways of Jesus Christ. And I say that faithfulness is a remedy because in the way that the Apostle Paul used the word faithfulness in the Greek New Testament here, it may very well be different than the way that we have understood the word faith or faithfulness in the West here. In a modern American church history, the way that we use the word faith and faithfulness, I, I believe the way that Paul uses it is a little bit different than how we maybe culturally began to kind of absorb it through this weird osmosis. Let me ask you all a few questions here. How would you describe faith? Okay, how would you describe, when you hear the word faith, how do you describe the word faith? What comes to your mind? What does it mean to have faith, right? We, we hear that, that phrase, that, that statement so often, hey, just have faith. What does it mean, though, to have faith? And the third question, what does it mean to be faithful in the spiritual sense? Three questions. How do you describe faith? What does it mean to have faith? And what does it mean to be faithful spiritually? Perhaps you responded with your thoughts in your, in your mind, something similar to faith as placing your hope in God or something, right? Like th- that's, that's kind of stock standard, right? If you grew up in, in the church in America, like, oh, you place your hope in God, that is what it means to have faith. Or something like, you know, such as, you know, I have faith that the weather is going to not be 100 degrees, right? You know, how it was last week. Or I have faith that Mel Tucker will bring MSU a championship ring and will crush the Wolverines. I have faith in him, right? Amen to that, right? Did I hear someone say nope? (laughs) What does it mean to have faith? It's a placement of hope into something. That is our current understanding. But my question for us that I want us to to ponder and think about is what is faith or faithfulness as the Apostle Paul understood it to be? 
Because that is an important question for us to respond to as we read any of the New Testament texts, especially the ones that the Apostle Paul writes, particularly the one that we're reading today, as he lists one of the fruits of the Spirit is faithfulness. Because the importance of understanding this is, if we know that one of the fruits of following Jesus that the Spirit produces in our lives is faithfulness, we want to be able to recognize it, right? Much like any of the other fruits, gentleness, right? self-control, goodness, kindness, love, right? All of that. We want to know, what does that actually mean so that I can identify whether or not it's being produced in my life? So what is faithfulness according not to what your friends may have told you what faithfulness is, not to, uh, you know, maybe what you read on the internet, but what is faith and faithfulness according to the Apostle Paul? In the Greek, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a Greek lesson here, along with the history lesson. In the Greek, the word for faith that we have here is the Greek word pistis. It means faith, faithfulness, as we know, Some would use fidelity, right? Fidelity is a good word, you know? Reliability, are you reliable? Can I trust to, you know, to call you? (laughs) Are you a faithful person? Will you help me out when I'm in my time of need? Are you reliable? And also allegiance. I want to give a disclaimer here that there are different, you know, much like English, there are different grammatical variations of the word pistis. You know, pisteios is one, you know? Uh, There's different, you know, past, present, future tense of pistis. For a short time together, though, knowing just this word pistis is important and sufficient for our time. Within this list of uh, one-word trans- uh, one translations of pistis, the first four, faith, faithfulness, reliability, fidelity, they may seem familiar to you all, but I want to hone in on one of the, the, the definitions here or the translations, which is allegiance, because that may be different to us in understanding what pistis means. Matthew Bates, he's a scholar on, uh, on who, who has championed this understanding of pistis being understood as allegiance, better to be understood as allegiance, than faith in certain areas of the Bible. He explains how allegiance made more sense in the Apostle Paul's time under Roman imperial rule, right? Because that's, that's the water that he swam in. And if you open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 17, verse 6 through 7, this is what it says. This is uh, uh, Dr. Luke essentially describing how some of the Jewish people, right, some of the Jewish people, they kind of turned on these Christians and kind of subdued them to the Roman Empire. Acts chapter 17, when they, the Jewish people, did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down, by the gospel, have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them in his home. Get this, this is the important part. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Fascinating. Within the Roman Empire, the deification or making of a god of the emperors was very commonplace. It was a very, very commonplace practice to the point that Caesar Augustus, who reigned during Jesus' time, he made his father, Julius Caesar, into a god. And so what does that make him then? You can say, you can talk back, it's cool. What does that make him? The son of a god. Powerful, right? 
the deification of making the emperors in the Roman Empire into a god was so commonplace. The most modern place that I can see this, for example, is in North Korea, for example, okay? The Kim family, family the Kim dynasty, some of the stuff that comes out of that, Kim Jong-il or whatever, right? He putted, he, uh, not putted, he golfed a perfect game, 18 holes, twice? Impossible, right? <laughs> the Kim family is viewed as a god, in all seriousness, and any worship of any other god is met with what? Death. Another example, during the reign of the Roman Empire, is that when a follower of Christ would no longer follow Jesus, and they, they you know, moved away from the way, the way of Christ and gave their allegiance to, to Caesar, what they would do is, to prove their allegiance switching, they would sacrifice something, most likely an animal, in front of a statue of one of the Caesars, one of the emperors, and then they would proclaim this with their words, Caesar is Lord, which is incompatible with the Christian decree that Jesus is Lord. The matter of faith is not necessarily switching of your faith, but the whole matter of pistis is about switching your allegiance. Do you see? This is a, a, a brief primer, our understanding pistis as allegiance and reworking our framework of what faith may really be in the life of a Christ follower. It is not this abstract concept per se, right? right? But rather it is something that we can kind of grasp when understood as Allegiance. Particularly here in America, uh, we understand this term allegiance in a handful of different ways. Uh, we know it quite well. Growing up in America, I was born in Korea, but moved here when I was one. Pretty much lived here for 29, 30 years of my life. And uh, all throughout grade school, what would we do? And I, I just asked a high schooler, uh, and they still do this in, in the schools, right? You, you yeah, put your heart, your hand over your heart, and you start the day off by giving what? Doing the Pledge of Allegiance. We understand this idea as Americans, particularly in the West here in America, what it means to give your allegiance to something or to some place or to someone, correct? And quite honestly, that is why I find the rendering of this word pistis to be so helpful for us in following Jesus in the modern age. We understand what it means to give your allegiance to someone or something. And as Christ followers living in this country, there's so much to think of when it comes to the different worldviews, the different ideologies, the different political parties, the different social groupings, the very things that divide us from one another. There is so much of that that occupies our minds and our hearts. I don't know about you, it occupies my, my life pretty much on the daily the list is a bit overwhelming, to be honest. For example, do I follow the ideas that are baked into critical race theory? Do I believe that the 2020 election was stolen? Do black lives really matter? Does the COVID-19 vaccine actually work? Should we equip teachers with guns? Are there really just two genders, or is gender just a social construct? Does marriage really have to be between a man and a woman for one lifetime? Did I get all of them? <laughs> Did I get all of them? We could go on for hours, right? 
And the interesting thing, though, is that when I'm asking these questions, I'm willing to bet my bottom dollar that you probably thought of a political leaning, depending on whichever question I ask. And if you did, it's okay. Because that's the water that we swim in right now. And I'm here to tell you, point blank, straight up, that Jesus is here to pluck us out of that water. The fruit of the Spirit is pistis. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is allegiance. Who or what have you given your allegiance to? And how does this affect your life? These are two questions I want to ask and examine. And and this is the application part, okay? I'm going to spend the rest of our time in this part. Three specific areas. Faithfulness in our society or allegiance to Jesus in our society. Allegiance to Jesus in our church. And allegiance to Jesus in our households. Okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 20-21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. As people who are ambassadors to Christ, this is the banner that we hold into the spaces. Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. He made the one who did not know to be sin or no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't Paul's language of ambassador for Christ begin to make more sense under the paradigm of allegiance? Right? Have you ever traveled anywhere? Sure, we not, are not ambassadors. We don't work for the U.S. Embassy. But if you travel to any other country, you kind of represent what it means to be an American, correct? I was, um, my wife and I started watching Obi-Wan the, on Disney+. And, um, and, um, you know, that got her into watching all the Star Wars stuff. So <laughs> she was long gone. I was like, I did not expect this to happen. But, but um, the Obi-Wan, uh, in the first episode, uh, one of the, the main premises is essentially they have, you know, these people who, uh, who, who the, I believe they're called the Inquisitors, they, they go and try to find and hunt the Jedi, right? The remaining parts of the Jedi. And Jedi, if you don't know, Star Wars, they're the good guys, right? And, and one of the, 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 grand, the grand inquisitor, the top dog, offers this very interesting statement. Okay, it's this. When they're trying to hunt Jedi. How do you hunt Jedi, right? They're so good at hiding. He says this. Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. The Jedi code is like an itch. Let me read that again for us, Okay. Jedi cannot help. They can't help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. The Jedi code is like an itch. And right after he says that, I believe he attacks like a citizen, and then boom, the Jedi hiding saves that person. What type of mark do you leave in some of the spaces that you occupy? The the Jedi code is like an itch. And I wonder how many for us, the way of Jesus is also like an itch for us. What type of mark do you leave in some of the spaces that you occupy? Many of us have our allegiance. And quite honestly, I'm not just preaching to you guys. When I was preparing this, I was preaching this to myself as well. Many of us have our allegiance to something else or someone else other than Jesus Christ the King. Do you enter and leave spaces with people seeing that you're an ambassador for the Republican Party? 
for the Democratic Party, for this ideology, for that ideology? Do you leave and enter spaces with people seeing that you've given your allegiance to this worldview or that worldview, to this camp or that camp? Or do people understand and see that you have given your allegiance to Christ and Christ alone? Can we be a people who walk and roam around society with the intentionality to represent Christ our King so well that we gain the credibility and the trust in, the, in society with the people we interact with on the daily to share the gospel of our King Jesus, that he is alive and well and that there's freedom from sin, Satan, and death to be found in him. Allegiance to Jesus in our society is at stake here. What kind of trail do you leave behind? Second, allegiance to Jesus in our church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. This is Jesus talking. He says, I know where you live. He's talking to the church in Pergamum. Where Satan's throne is. Scary. Yet you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith in me even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death among you where Satan lives. This is a letter to the church in Pergamum, like I said. And the Greek word for faith here is the same that we've been reading over and over and over again. It is the word pistis. Jesus says that the church in Pergamum, they held on to their faith, to their allegiance in God, in Jesus, despite the temptation of where Satan lives. And I presume that this means that in the face of denying the lordship of Jesus, the church in Pergamum held on to proclaiming what? That Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. When I was thinking about this idea of allegiance to Jesus in our churches, um, I was thinking, well, all churches give their allegiance to Jesus, right? And this is not to knock on any church or whatever, but the overall co- the answer is I, I couldn't comfortably say that everyone that says we're a church necessarily has given their allegiance to Christ, quite honestly. And my hope and prayer is that our church, Riverview Church, here at Holt, our West Side venue, our Real Town venue, would never waver from the gospel message of Christ. And one of the ways that we do this, it isn't just coming to church on a Sunday morning. Qu- quite honestly, right? Like, and this, I'm glad that you guys are here. But that's not how we're going to do it. There are many ways, and I want to highlight a couple, okay? One of them is the ways that we can ensure that our church is so faithfully, faithful to Jesus that we have given our allegiance to Christ and not denying allegiance to him, one of the ways, sure shot ways we do this is by raising up the next generation. The youth are the future. I don't know how else to say it. We have to raise up the next generation in the ways of Jesus. I have two things with this, okay, that I want to share with you guys. One big one. About a month or so ago, after much thought and prayer, talking with our elders, talking with some of our leaders. As, if you didn't know, um, I was the MSU venue director um, and became the MSU venue pastor. And after much thought and prayer, uh, we decided to make a transition and a pivot for the MSU venue. So if you didn't know, we, have a, we had a venue on campus. We closed it down during the summertime. We met in the Erickson Kiva, right, during this last year. We have a bunch of college students and a bunch of young adults. 
anywhere from 18 to 30 years old. And we decided that, and we realized after the Let's Be That series, the previous series, that if we wanted to truly be multi and next generational, we have to give space for our young people to lead, to serve, to make an impact in the rest of our church body. And so what we decided and realized was that by being on campus, we couldn't have that impact. Because we're just siloed off on campus. As great as MSU's campus is, beautiful as it is, but we decided to, after much prayerful thought and asking the Lord for wisdom, to close the weekend service at the MSU venue so that we can send our young people to our Holt venue, our Rio Tan venue, and our Westside venue. Because we believe in the next generation. If you are here and you're a Gen Z, you're a millennial, we want to see you guys lead and to grow and to serve within our church and within the Lansing area. That means also for you guys that are older, Gen Xers, the boomers, Okay, listen, I'm not, not, not trying to offend you guys, but you guys are older, okay, right? <laughs> if you serve on a welcome team, if you serve on an info center, serve on a coffee, security, whatever areas you might be serving in, if you are just, you know, hanging out in the lobby, drinking coffee, and you see a young person, it's a chance for di- discipleship to, to happen, to pour into the next generation. One of the ways that we ensure responsibility in holding on to the name of Jesus is to invest in the next generation, to pass on the gospel baton. Second thing, our Riv Kids and student ministries. I'm gonna be very upfront about this. They need older people. And this is now for those who are in college to boomer, <laughs> okay? That's you, this is for you. Our RIV kids and student ministries have kids in them that cannot be in those classrooms because we don't have enough volunteers. What are we doing? Quite honestly, as people who are older in the church, what are we doing not investing in in these young people? They are truly the the future of the church. They're truly the, the future of the gospel being spread into their spaces. Once they become leaders, once they occupy college classrooms or the workplace, right, or trade schools or whatever it might be, we want to raise them now so that they can be uh, people who share the gospel, who live out the gospel in these spaces. But what are we doing? I want to encourage you guys, challenge you guys, Give up just one Sunday to serve in any of our Riv Kids ministries, to serve and invest in our student ministries. That is our response. This generation of young people, it's not just Gen Z anymore, it's Gen Alpha. Yeah, that, that exists. Is <laughs> our responsibility. The church in Pergamum, Jesus says, you are holding on to my name and did not deny your faith. You know how much opposition to the gospel exists in the lives of our young children and our young people? We're letting them flounder and to flail. It is our responsibility. This generation of young people is our responsibility as olders to pour into them, to raise up this generation. And you have a chance, just one Sunday, a month, once every other month to serve in our Riv Kids and Student Ministries. May we raise them up in the ways of Jesus to give their allegiance to Christ and Christ alone. Serve in our Riv Kids and our Student Ministries. I challenge you to do that. Practicing faithfulness is not just a, a, a 
thing you do privately. Practicing allegiance and faithfulness is doing that also within our church. Third one, allegiance to Jesus in our household. I have a a chart here, a graph here. This shows the percentage of Americans in the age 12 to 17 who had at least had one major depressive episode in the last year. So we're still talking about kids, okay? As we talk about allegiance to Jesus in our church pertaining to youngers, this applies nearly tenfold in importance in our households, okay? Jonathan Haidt, the professor I shared some data from earlier in this message, has done plenty of work along with many other researchers in the areas of social media, and not just in politics, but how it has shaped the youth in our society, particularly, please hear me, with young women, okay? He notes that from 2010 to 2014, rates of hospital admissions from self-harm did not increase at all for women in their early 20s or for boys or young men, but they doubled for women, uh, for young women from ages 10 to 14. They doubled. We could spend hours discussing the data in short, but much of the data points to social media, particularly Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, and now TikTok. As the culprit behind the sharp increase in mental health issues such as depression and anxiety. There is a war waging in your households if you are a parent, whether you realize it or not. John Tyson, he's a pastor out in New York, and he says this about fathers and their households, and I want to challenge, I don't want to just give a fluffy uh, message for our fathers in this room or if you're a father-like figure, but I want to give you a challenge, please, yes? Uh, Also, this applies for mothers um, as well, but I want to, this is what John Tyson writes for fathers, okay, in in the households. He says this, and I don't have this on the screen because I want you guys to hear. Please hear this out, what he says. He says this, I believe the days of hoping for others to save your family are over. Don't passively wait for youth pastors to do all the work in discipling your kids. Don't passively hope that Sunday morning kids ministry will be enough to produce resilient disciples. We'll touch on that in a little bit because it seems contradicting to what I said, but I promise it's not. Don't think that Sunday sermons will be enough to tear down the ideologies at war for your kids' hearts. Don't think that an occasional conversation about cultural issues will build loyalty to Jesus. Grab what you need and run into the hellscape of our modern world with sacrificial love and take radical responsibility for your home. Be the priest of your house. Pastor your kids' hearts. Fight against the forces seeking to take their hearts and mind hostage to the things of this world. The youth are the future of our church. The young people are. What are we doing? Can we invest in them, in our church, in our household? Because at this rate, depression and anxiety, social media influence impact are winning their hearts. How can you lead them in your household to give their entire allegiance to Christ and Christ alone? And this is not to say that just because they become a believer that anxiety will dissipate from their lives. No, I know plenty of faithful Christians who also battle with anxiety and they probably will for the rest of their life. But at least we know that depression and anxiety will not have the final say because Christ has the final say because he reigns supreme right here, right now. In your households, fathers and mothers, whether you have two parents in the home or if you're a single mom or a single dad, can you fight 
for your kids' allegiance to Jesus. And part of that is also investing in these kids here in our church. Because some of them, they need the extra, right? It's a space for us to serve, space for us to lead. lead. Who and what is forming your children? I want to wrap up our time with this. Allegiance is only possible to a king that lives. And praise God that Jesus lives right now. That is the the reality of the gospel. We talk so much about the gospel, which is so important of what has already been done in the past for our sin. Jesus died on the cross for our sin, your sin and my sin. He was buried in the grave and rose three days for our sin, to conquer our sin, Satan and death, right? But the present reality that we can live in now is that Jesus is not dead. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is a king who is alive and well, and he calls and beckons his people to submit to him and him alone. Jesus is a king on the throne, is the king on the throne, and what does he do for his people? Does he just say, follow my laws and decrees, do as I say? No, he gives you his robe of righteousness. He says, come to me, take off your dirty rags, take off the ways that you think are better, and I will show you a better way. Here is my robe of righteousness, my way of righteousness. King Jesus is a king who loves and is actively participating in the lives of his people, and he calls us to do the same with one another. So what does it mean for the Spirit to produce in us the fruit of faithfulness? It means that the Spirit helps us to see who at the beginning, middle, and end of the day is king. So you can watch all the news that you want. You can be in the, 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 uh, what's it called, the echo chambers as long as you want. But the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness that the Spirit bubbles up in us is that it reminds us that at the beginning, middle, and end of the day, Jesus is king over and within our lives. It means the Spirit helps us see who should be sitting at the throne of our lives. It means the Spirit helps us submit to the cosmic King, Jesus Christ, who currently lives and reigns supreme over heaven and earth. We do not make someone king, at least not with Jesus. We either submit or we say, Caesar is Lord. It's one of the two, or something else is Lord. It means we lay down our, all of our crowns, political, career, status, and call the people around us, the people in our society, the people in our churches, the people in our households, to also lay down the crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ the King. That's what it means to give your allegiance to Jesus. That's what it means to be faithful. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. Who do you give your allegiance to? Who can you challenge to give their allegiance to Jesus? Would you pray with me as we pray for our church, pray for the youth as we pray for uh, even our own hearts, pray for our country, that, man, Lord, would you just please just help us, use us, use Riverview Church to be a light in this world of division. Would you pray with me as we pray all these things? 
Lord, we pray for our church. I pray for my, my church friends here, our church family. I pray for my own heart, Lord. You know where I'm at, Lord, with, with, with where my heart is at with, with going this way or that way. I pray, Father, you would help me to give my soul allegiance to you. I pray that that would be the case for our church family. As we look at what, what does faithfulness really mean in our lives, I pray that we would practice this in our society to be ambassadors for you, that we practice it in our churches to look to you and you alone, and that we would practice it in our households, that we would raise up the youth, the next generation of believers, that we would be so captivated by the gospel to pour into these young people, to, to pour into the next generation, to raise them up in the way of Christ. Help us, Lord. It is by your spirit, not by our own might and strength, that we can accomplish such things. Grow in us a heart of dependency because there's so many things that ask us for their allegiance and it's so tempting. But may we be like the church in Pergamum, at least to the point where you say that we did not deny our faith, that we held on to our allegiance to you and you alone. Help us, Lord. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.